This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to Property Matters where we talk all things property. We've got a bit of everything today. A little bit about uh, what the council's doing with regards parking and how that might affect business. A little bit of commercial news. Uh, we've got news about the real estate market and also about renting and uh, bad landlords, bad tenants. It is great to have your company today. We'll just rip into it. There's so much happening in the space of real estate at the moment. I thought I'd bring to you first of all this article from Stuff that says public opinion prompts council back down on parking hours. And you may recall that the idea was to take away free parking for late week evenings and Sundays. So they it provoked a 6,000 signature petition in opposition and so they've delayed and are now calling for public submissions. And within two weeks... There were 2,600 online responses, nearly 97% opposition. It's pretty hard because the there are a number of companies, for example, if we look at Broadway Avenue, at Brew Union, they've put a lot of money into uh, helping to redecorate and revitalise Broadway. And if it's going to cost extra, say, $5 for people to go out and park and that sort of thing, they were concerned that that would have an effect. It also prompted uh, Green Councillor Renee Dingwall to say councillors needed to weigh up whether they should be leading or led by public opinion. She was reluctant to give up one of the tools the council could use to encourage people to get out of their cars more often and try walking, cycling or taking a bus alternative. So it's, uh, we'll just, uh, that's been put uh, slightly on hold in terms of that consultation. We have to see where that goes. In other news, this article says new homes for all budgets planned in Palmerston North. So Palmas North's newest subdivision, Tamakuku Terrace, will include the building of about 50 medium-density affordable homes to give people a hand up into the property market. The City Council is setting up a contract with community housing provider Homes for People to ensure low-income households can gain a foothold in the new residential area. The Council would sell 20 of the 111 sections off James Line near the Kelvin Grove Cemetery in Whakarongo to the group. Amir Grant-Smith said it was a great outcome, providing housing options for a range of different people at different stages of their lives and helping more people achieve the vision of owning their own homes. He says it strikes a great balance for us to partner with Homes for People, a local group with a proven track record and affordable housing space, while also delivering much-needed sections to the wider property market. So the Homes for People... Uh, have said, uh, Darren Birch said that we were excited to work alongside the council in creating homes for lower income households and who are otherwise struggling at purchasing their own home. So it's interesting to see how that will go. What will constitute affordable? I guess we'll have to see. But I would imagine that uh, having higher density would mean uh, one, two and three bedroom places which are certainly in demand. There's been a drop in farm sales across Manawatu Wanganui and that reflects the busy sector and impact of COVID-19, says the Real Estate Institute. This was on stuff.co.nz. It says that the Manawatu's rural property market has closed out the winter with a whimper as the region saw a puzzlingly large drop-off in farm sales. 
The Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's latest rural property report showed there were 51 fewer farms sold over the past three months compared to the 350 sold, uh, 357 sold at the same time last year. Manutu Wanganui only saw 16 farm sales in that time and 22 less than at the end of last winter. So the figures, according to the Real Estate Institute's rural spokesman, Brian Peacock, they reflect both the time of year when the rural sector is busy with carving and lambing, the impact of COVID-19-influenced lockdown, and both factors impacting on sluggish sales results. So however, even taking that into consideration, farm sales in the Manotu, Wanganui and Tararua regions were uncharacteristically light, he said. The wider Manotu market tended to be fairly flat and stable at this time of year, with many farmers preferring to sell in mid-October. So we'll have to see there if uh, things uh, pop up a bit. Uh, the prospects for the rural property market and farming in general were generally sunny, <laughs> so they say, heading through spring into summer. The interest rates are still looking good. Lamb, beef and milk returns are high and it's all very buoyant. Fonterra has forecast a record high opening milk price for the 2021-22 season of between $7.25 per kilogram of milk solids to $8.75 per kilogram of milk solids. So that's going to be interesting to see where that goes. And that's good, of course, for the economy here. Uh, tens of millions of dollars in the agricultural sector that comes into the, uh, into the wider economy. It's really good to see. It affects a lot of people. If you'd like something different in your next real estate purchase, there's this article by Michaela Wilkes on stuff.co.nz. It says, you could live in a piece of TV history. If you've ever wondered what it would be like to step on the set of a TV show, a 10-acre lifestyle block at Whiteman's Valley Upper Hut could be the perfect home for you. The property contains a television set village, originally built for a major drama series Country GP in the 80s. The set's also been used for TV series such as Wellington Paranormal, The Tribe, The Fire Razor, Colonial Battle and Peppermint Twist. Now it's available for sale. According to New Zealand On Screen, Country GP charted the post-war years of 1945 to 1950 in a rural central South Island town. Using fast turnaround techniques that anticipated later shows like Shortland Street, 66 episodes of Country GP were shot in 18 months at the specially built town. So TVNZ built a bunch of facades. So they're basically just big sheds, said Ray White Upper Hut agent Lisa Trenter. Even though they look like solid buildings and appeared great on TV, the blue house with the wraparound deck is the only real house. So the property features a fully renovated two-bedroom home as well as a general store, hotel, post office and town hall. Once you step inside the hotel, for example, it's basically just weatherboard. And they have little balconies set up for cameras to stand on. So that's been a really interesting property if you get the chance to have a look, even if you look at it online. Uh, the owners say that they love the history and setting. It's a beautiful setting and it's very private. There's been a lot of work done there and um, there could be a number of ways that you could use this. I'll maybe mention in, in comments how you might uh, use a property like this. Interesting to see uh, about zoning and all that sort of stuff. But that's going to be sold with a deadline of the 19th of October. If you're more into a do-up sort of property, there's one in Christchurch. A derelict treasure trove for sale, including cat food, rubbish and a cortina. So there we go. <laughs> cortina lovers, this could be for you. It's a derelict old house in Christchurch being sold as is, where is. It's a character bungalow and has street appeal close to all amenities. 
However, it's uh, not for the faint-hearted. It comes with all the chattels, including piles of rubbish, a car and assorted household effects. The property's elderly owner returns every day to feed her beloved cats and stacks of empty food containers left behind are all part of the estate's charm, the article says. TLC Realty real estate agent Trish Lawrence calls it a potential treasure trove and one of the most rundown and intriguing properties she has listed. Who knows what the buyer will find as they sift through it all, she says. The unusual city fringe property in Thornton Street, St Albans, will no doubt be snapped up in a red-hot property market where listings are slim and there's demand all over the country. It has a rateable value of 475000 but is expected to fetch much more. So it's only been listed uh, very recently. Staff was invited to uh, look at the uh, natural ventilation through holes in the ceiling and the indoor-outdoor flow due to the owner keeping the house open for her cats. Potential buyers can also take in the infusion of natural light through the dirty lead light windows and stroll around the original garden complete with overhanging trees and lush undergrowth. So they say here, buyer beware, the question might be to love or to level. It's on a 792 square metre section, we'll have to see where that goes. Um, Certainly, I'd imagine if you had the skills uh, to do that, then that could be really quite appealing. And that's going to auction uh, on October the 6th. One thing that's been quite noticeable in recent times, particularly in Manawatu, Wanganui, uh, certainly around uh, Fielding and in Palmerston North and um, places like Martin, Sanson and Bulls, is that there's not that many homes for sale. And so this article by Liz McDonald says that more real estate agents than homes for sale in, in New Zealand so a total of 15,500 agents and 909 companies have active real estate licences, about 1,200 more than a year ago. A record number of people have applied to join the industry in the past year, according to the Real Estate Agents Authority. But at the same time, a growing shortage of listings has been compounded by the COVID lockdown. And at the start of this month, there were 12,250 homes on the market, a third fewer than last year, and in Palms North it's even uh, less relatively. I think it's about 36% less than last year. And last year wasn't that good. <laughs> there wasn't that many for sale then either. So, so Stephen Lee, a real estate agent with a professional, said agents were competing for listings and some were cutting commissions. There are probably too many real estate agents in the market now. People will fall out because they can't survive in this market. And he's from Wellington, that man, and talks about it. So interestingly, most real estate salespeople in a – busy market or a market like we've got now where it's uh, rising and so forth earn less money than they do when the market is quiet. And this sounds really strange. What happens is historically you'd have an influx of people moving into real estate to sell because they feel it's an easy way to make a living, which of course it's uh, it's not, but uh, that is the perception. And, uh, and so what happens there is that the average earnings actually go down. And the latest figures from Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment show agents earned an average of $84,500 in 2019. That's the most up-to-date uh, figures that they have. So 84500 you might think that's still good money, um, but remember, it's commission only, and that may, is what makes it really hard. You can literally go months, uh, potentially without pay, and certainly there's, there'll be a lot of people um, who simply haven't got a single house to sell at the moment that are, that are real estate salespeople, of course. So we're going to go to a bit of music now and uh, something Kiwi. I thought we'd have a bit of Crowded House with Distant Sun here on Property Matters on NPR. 
come around and spend my talk time and again, time and again. So far, old enough to know who you are, wise enough to carry the scars without any blame. There's no one to blame. And you're listening to Property Matters here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company. Just a little bit of commercial property news because we talk a lot about the real estate sales market and how that's gone up uh, over 30% in the last year in the Manawatu Wanganui region. But here's some something more on the commercial side of things. This article from Stuff says that Goodman Property Trust property value soars to $4.3 billion on the back of capital gain during the pandemic. So the value of warehouses, factories and other properties at the country's biggest industrial property landlord, Goodman Property Trust, has jumped $500 million to be worth $4.3 billion. And this, shows a fi- this follows a $560 million gain on the property portfolio value. And that's uh, 17% in the year to March 31st, 2021. 
During the 18 months of the pandemic, Goodman's property portfolio, including 11 large industrial estates in the Auckland region with more than 150 buildings, has climbed more than $1 billion, around 30% since the COVID of last year. So it's pretty pretty amazing that that has gone up. That might be a bit of an um, indicator of how things are generally going. John Dakin, the chief executive of Goodman NZ, said the increase reflected strong property fundamentals in the buoyant investor market for prime warehouse and logistics sector assets. Underpinned by a growing digital economy, customer demand for distribution space close to consumers is exceeding supply in the locations where they invest. That's really interesting with a shift more to online buying uh, by consumers that the storage space is in demand. A couple of uh, articles here about the market, about the sales market. This article from Daniel Dunkley and Stuff says, and it's an opinion piece, buying a first home about to go from hard to near impossible. He says, or asks the question, how do you create a set of impossible conditions for first home buyers? First, send the interest rates to record lows, scrap lending restrictions for investors and fuel a property market boom. Leave those settings for several months, then once prices spiral out of control, reimpose lending restrictions and make them extra tight for people struggling for a deposit. So the Reserve Bank appears to be on the last step of that journey as it looks to tighten loan-to-value ratio restrictions on owner-occupiers. The central bank plans to halve the amount that can be lent to borrowers with a deposit smaller than 20% to 10% of new lending. And the changes will disproportionately impact first home buyers, which received more than three-quarters of loans above 80% loan-to-value in July, according to the latest Reserve Bank of New Zealand data. Auckland University Professor of Urban Planning, Alan Barmantumori, explains why Kiwis have poured so much capital into housing while other countries are content to rent. And um, he says that lending to first home buyers with less than 20% deposit reached $615 million, or roughly 38% of the total first home buyer lending that, that month. The 31.1% surge in house prices over the last year um, has really had an effect so that the central bank is trying to save home buyers from them bes- themselves as it believes that low deposit borrowers pose a risk to financial stability despite stress tests indicating the financial system is well placed to weather a nasty downturn. So the latest LVR proposal is set to come into effect 1st of October and was met with criticism during a very short consultation progress uh, a process I should say. Uh, this article was mirrored by Susan Edmonds with the headline Mortgage Hurdle Gets Higher for First Home Buyers. So they're definitely going ahead with putting restrictions on owner occupied uh, people lending. And then from November the 1st, banks will only be able to lend 10% of new loans instead of 20 to owner occupiers with deposits of less than 20%. The investors already face a tighter restriction. Banks can only lend 5% of new loans to investor borrowers with less than 40% deposit or equity. The Again, this has been moved through. We'll have, we'll have to see what effect it has. But an article by on landlords.co.nz or in an article, Tony Alexander, and uh, the first mortgage trust, Tony Alexander is the economist, say a net 56% of mortgage advisors are seeing fewer investors stepping forward for mortgage advice. And uh, Alexander says it represents some 
giving back of July's improvement compared to the March and June quarter. He says, results consistent with those from other surveys showing investor demand has been curbed by LVR and tax changes announced over February and March of this year. Banks remain as willing to lend on average this month as last month, but there is far more scrutiny being applied to client expenses and income sources than ever before. Low deposit loans are harder to secure, and there is an increasing bank weariness of funding some people who are wanting to buy off the plan as costs escalate. We've talked about that on the show here before, uh, the, the effect of building costs. So really trying to, to slow the market to stop that growth. Uh, we'll have to see if that just has a temporary effect or any effect at all. But as I mentioned earlier this year, there was a temporary effect and making it a little bit harder for landlords. On the positive housing news, Kainga Aura is to build thousands of prefabricated homes for transitional housing. So they're using what they call off-site manufacturing or prefabrication to create social housing in Auckland's Blockhouse Bay. So they plan to purchase thousands of prefabricated homes to address the country's growing need for transitional housing, many of which will be built offshore and shipped over. Kainga Aura General Manager of Construction Patrick Doherty said a main goal of the project was to boost New Zealand's domestic off-site manufactured capacity and capability. However, in order to meet demand, many would be constructed abroad and shipped over as ready-built, weather-tight, one- or two-bedroom homes. He says the demand for public housing has never been higher. There is a very real and urgent need to get families and children out of motels and other forms of emergency housing and into more secure homes where they can feel settled and able to move forward with their lives. So that's good that that is, is being done. Um, the off-site uh, made or prefabricated homes um, can have a bit of a bad rap, but a lot of that is unjustified, I feel, just as an opinion. So Kiwi Property, in this article by Marta Steeman, presses on for the country's largest build to rent an almost 300-apartment development at Sylvia Park. So they've pushed the button on a $221 million apartment development with long-term rentals uh, at the Sylvia Park shopping centre in Auckland with plans for hundreds more rented apartments. It is by far the biggest build-to-rent development in the country, with the others that have been developed only about 40 to 50 apartments alongside apartments for sale. But Kiwi Property has announced today a 295 apartment complex will be developed at Sylvia Park, which is the country's largest mall. Hundreds more were planned there, and it was seeking resource consent for 245 apartments for long-term rental at Lynn Mall. So that's great that they're looking at uh, seeing a way of investing there for the future and uh, helping with uh, providing more housing indeed. So that's uh, happening in in Auckland way. Just moving on now, we'll talk a little bit about what's happening with rents countrywide. And I'll read out a few headlines here, but this is mainly through landlords.co.nz. Again, this is going back to the economist Tony Alexander and First Mortgage Trust, median rent lentil, who did the research. Median rent levels around the country have been examined, and it's called the Regional Property Insights Report, if you wanted to find it, the Regional Property Insights Report. The report looks at how the rents have changed over the past year and over a longer time. Of greater interest, says Alexander, is an update on the analysis of growth in new building consents and estimated population growth to get a feel for when people might decide a region is becoming oversupplied. The term is in quotation marks to reflect the fact that being over or undersupplied with dwellings is more a matter of opinion and popular sentiment than empirical facts. So let's look at some of these headlines. I'll just quickly read a few of these out. Northland, strong rent growth. 
Auckland, house supply surge suppressing rents, which is interesting. So they've just had a rise of 3% um, in, in the last year. Bay of Plenty, firm rent growth might continue or may continue. We have Waikato, superior rents growth may ease. Um, so they've grown by an average of 6.4% over the last year in Waikato. Gisborne, rents pressure remains upwards. So the average rent in uh, Gisborne is just $415 in the past rent, but it's been a strong 138 increase uh, there. Manutu Wanganui uh, says rents low by NZ standards, and I'll just elaborate on that as that's where we're based, so I like to do so. The, p- the pace of growth in weekly rents for newly let properties has exceeded the New Zealand-wide rate of increase for five years in the Manutu Wanganui region. The growth for the past year has been 13.6% compared to 56 nationwide. So let's just break off for a minute, and uh, that would mean that if you're a landlord, for every $100 of rent a year ago, um, you should really be charging $114 rent now to be in line with the market. So if you haven't put your rents up lately, you should probably look at doing so. Uh, or alternatively, there are plenty of landlords around 20% that the media doesn't report on who try to under-rent properties intentionally to help people out. So the Manutu Wanganui region has experienced a period of above-average house construction relative to population. So that's that's good to help catch up. However, the shortfall of construction versus population growth for the past five years is relatively small, but it is increasing. So that's where we get the 13.6%. In other regions, we had Hawke's Bay. Uh, the headline says supply shortfall drives rents up. They're about 12% up. Taranaki supply surge may slow rents growth, growth I should say, and theirs is 10.5%. Wellington rents growth likely to slow, and that's got some really highest high rents there, second only behind Auckland. They've risen 6% over the last year. Nelson, Tasman, Marlborough, mildly above average rent growth likely. And they've been going up about 8%. So you can see the trend here. It's around about this 10% no matter where you are around the country. The West Coast rents growth probably to ease back is the headline, but they've risen still 8.2%. Canterbury subdued rents growth to continue. They're up around 5%. And Dunedin City average growth in prospect, which is around 5.5%. Queenstown Lakes, a rent rebound is partly underway, it says. So they've been really hit hard by the closure of the borders in March of last year, and it's um, it's pretty tricky. Like, the rents have fallen uh, 10.6% in and around Queenstown. In Southland, the rents are second last in the country at uh, $338 per week, so that's uh, at least affordable in, in those parts. But most of the country, with the exception of uh, around the Queenstown area, rents have been going up significantly, uh, make it hard for tenants and making it potentially more profitable for landlords. So thanks very much for listening. I'm Greg Watson. This has been Property Matters. It's been wonderful having your company. Look forward to catching up again next week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.